This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. I'm your host, Lee Llewellyn. Workforce has emerged as one of the leading issues in economic development. States and communities now compete more on workforce and talent than on low taxes, and Indiana has some of the most prominent institutions of higher education, and we draw students from all over the world. But often we don't retain them after graduation, and it seems as though we train the world's workforce, particularly in those fields that are emerging as part of the so-called new economy, but we're not always keeping them here in Indiana. Today, for this podcast, I will be talking to two individuals who are on the front line of developing and implementing strategies to address Indiana's talent challenges. Chris Lowry is the Commissioner of Indiana's Commission for Higher Education, and Tony Denhart with the Indiana Economic Development Corporation is Executive Vice President for Workforce and Talent. So, Chris, Tony, thank you very much for being here today. So I'd like to start, first of all, with a little bit of background on each of you. So let's start, Chris, with you. I think when you and I first met, you were with Ivy Tech. I think that's but correct. But I think you had just made a transition from industry into that role. And so now you are Commissioner of Higher Education. But talk about your background and the experience and perspective that you bring to your current role. Super. Thanks, Lee, and thanks for having me here. Uh, you know, I, I break my background into chunks of decades. My first decade uh, immediately after undergraduate was as a policy wonk, uh, mostly in and around the state house that we're sort of staring at out of the windows today. And uh, then I transitioned into uh, manufacturing, advanced manufacturing. I was recruited by uh, publicly traded Hillenbrand. Most Hoosiers, I think, know that for many years they owned the Batesville Casket Company and many others. Uh, yeah, you know, so I had just a great experience over two decades at Hillenbrand. Uh, I always tell folks I have my undergrad from uh, IU, my master's degree from Indiana Wesleyan, and my PhD in Hillenbrand. And, and I really mean that uh, in that, you know, really understanding being a devotee of lean manufacturing, you know, when that was really, really coming to a lot of American companies in the mid-90s uh, following the, the auto industry, but had the chance to just do sort of everything from human resources, marketing strategy, sales development, new business acquisition and integration, you know, just sort of the full breadth of it. And during that time in my last five years, I was the corporate center. We had spun off the hospital bed company, we became acquisitive, and our CEO at the time, and this is all the way back to 2009, looked at a couple of us in a room and said, so, I understand there's a looming war for talent. Let me be clear, we win. You know, I suppose not ironically, at about the same time, the Indiana Manufacturer, excuse me, the National uh, Association of Manufacturers, NAM, and the Manufacturing Institute were publishing these delicious reports uh, in conjunction with Deloitte, and they profiled the skills gap. And so that's really where my journey began at a corporate level, helping Hillenbrand solve for that equation. You know, what, uh, you know, we plotted out the graying of our workforce, where we were going to be seeing the biggest challenges. Then from an acquisitive and organic growth standpoint, uh, where would we need talent? Uh, sort of fortuitously, at the same time, I had been serving on the local school board and for, for a dozen years, ultimately, in the last uh, five, no, last seven years of that, as the president of the school board. And quite literally, around a small breakfast table at a restaurant in Batesville, a handful of us said, 
okay, what do we do about this not only as leading employers but as a community? And we determined we needed to have a community college, specifically Ivy Tech in our community, and I, I, I led that bandwagon, uh, by the way, including raising the, the money to locate the facility and so forth. And uh, what began was really, a, uh, I think, a rather interesting blend of K-12, post-secondary, and employers to focus on current uh, supply and demands, what they might look like in the future. That uh, led to, I guess it was in the spring of 2014, uh, Ivy Tech Community College reaching out to me. It was originally for a chancellor's role of a, a large geographic area of Indiana. And, and Lee, I have to tell you, it was kind of funny when the couple of folks who originally asked me about it, I or started talking with me about it, I said, I'll be glad to help recruit somebody, serve on a search committee. And they said, no, I think you misunderstand. And I went, oh, no, 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 I'm not looking for a job. But ultimately, I, I did think that was you know my calling and where I should be going and spent a couple of years in that role. And then uh, I think uh, as you and I got to know each other really well, six years as Senior Vice President of Workforce Careers and Adult Strategies, stood that section of, of the college up. It has been their growth engine now for a half a dozen years. Uh, more than half of the completions they now have are in the very focused workforce space. I think probably 25 out of their 40,000, 45,000 or so completions are in that area. And then, um, yeah, and then some folks were kind enough to seek me out for the role that I'm privileged to occupy today and um, get a chance to work with super folks like Tony and, and others tackling some of these challenges that, that we have today and tomorrow in the workforce. And um, but doing so knowing we have incredible employers, we have incredible institutions. Thanks for referencing that in your introduction. And uh, it's, you know, it's fitting these pieces together, make sure that we've got the resources, as I like to think of it, for uh, organic and acquisitive growth here in Indiana. Okay, so we'll talk about your role with the commission in just a minute. Tony, I want to switch to you. Your role with the Indiana Economic Development Corporation is relatively new within a year, and I don't know that there was anybody really doing what you're doing now before you. Um, so talk a little bit about your past and how you got to your new role, because I know you also have a background in industry that I think gives you a unique perspective. So talk a little bit about that before we talk about our other topics. Right. So Lee, just first off, I want to say thank you for having both Chris and I on the podcast today. Uh, I'm really excited about uh, sharing some of the workforce things that are going on within the state of Indiana. Let me step back to the fact that I was born, raised, and educated in the state of Indiana. I had an amazing 32-year career at GE. I would have never thought that I would have been where I'm at today, uh, but I'm going to end this little piece on my why. Purdue University alum, and I had to call that out because Chris called uh, IU out. <laughs> it's fair. I, uh, you know, an MBA from GE. GE's known for that. But I spent 32 years there, 22 years the first 22 years in field services. So I went into the field engineering leadership program and I spent two decades in and around, think paper, steel up in the Northwest Indiana, pharmaceuticals, heavy industry. But two years out of college, I was asked to go back and tell my story at Purdue, which I did and that's where I got the recruiting bug. So I stayed engaged for the next 20 years and fall of 2011, I was approached from corporate to go into the university relations full-time. So I did. That entailed recruiting, relationship management, and research at our key schools. And I had a couple dozen schools spanning the country. 
at the end of the day, we were responsible for all businesses, all functions across the entire company globally. And we were hiring about 12,000 university and college students per year. What most people don't know is when we're at a table, across the table from companies looking to especially come to the state of Indiana, I usually will tell them that I've been in their shoes. Because about a decade ago, I was honored and humbled to be asked to be part of the GE team that was deciding between Tennessee and Indiana on where they were gonna stand up the next jet engine assembly facility. So that experience on its own, uh, you know, brings a lot of cred credibility to the table. And I could go into the why we picked Indiana. So that's a little bit about my background. I will also add that, you know, with our children and our children's friends, that's given me a different perspective, especially probably over the last five to eight years on their journey and what's most important to them. So talk a little bit about the Commission for Higher Education, because I'm sure um, many people don't understand because we don't interact with the commission on a regular basis, don't understand what its role is and why it exists. So you're there, you are the commissioner. Why? And why is it there? And what do you do? Yeah, lately, thank you. Yeah, I've been there, by the way, about 54 weeks. Uh, just had my one year anniversary. Uh, absolutely loving it. Uh, you know, the commission's been around a little over 50 years, and uh, if you look statutorily, it is listed as the body that has coordinating responsibilities with our public institutions. So I'll break that down. We have two R1 research universities, West Lafayette, Purdue, and Bloomington, uh, Indiana University, and then we have Comprehensive, Ball State, Indiana State, and University of Southern Indiana. And we have two two-year uh, organizations, Vincent University and Ivy Tech Community College. So uh, we have coordinating responsibility. Well, it goes much deeper than that, as probably most people would expect. Uh, in our role, we are also charged with coordinating and planning and strategizing with our independent colleges. We're also very fortunate in that regard. Uh, frankly, it's made easy because there is something called the Independent Colleges of Indiana. 29 private institutions belong to that, and so we work really closely with them. Some of the, the ways in which we coordinate and work together is legislatively and from a policy standpoint. As uh, folks probably know, legislature adjourned uh, in the wee hours of uh, April 28th this year. And it was, uh, it was quite a good year for higher education and those we serve here in Indiana from multiple perspectives, and I'm sure we'll touch on some of those here later in the conversation. But in doing that, you know, we're, what we're trying to do is seek policy. Uh, I view it as the three Ps, policies, programs, and partnerships that will ultimately benefit the folks being served by higher education in Indiana. Uh, individuals who end up being students, right, the consumers, one set of the consumers, uh, also employers, the wealth creators. Again, I take the view sort of corporately that that's organic and acquisitive growth here in Indiana. And amongst our responsibilities include the administration of a, a very generous portfolio of need-based financial aid. Our organization manages a portfolio of about $400 million annually. Largest portions of that are the 21st Century Scholars Program, been around about a third of a century. Uh, one of the big victories just in the last week is that uh, we'll no longer have to find those eligible students and get them signed up before they or leave the eighth grade. We're gonna auto-enroll them. And uh, we, think that's, we think that's a significantly hopeful opportunity for Indiana because we've only been able to enroll about half of the kids in any given year. And it received 
broad bipartisan support at the state house this year. In addition to that, in working with the institutions, we we work with them on programmatic and curriculum topics in, in terms of approval, your programs that are created at our public institutions, uh, the curriculum that comes with it, how it's fitting the needs of our economy, how that fits with uh, employers. So those are those are ways in which we uh, work together. A whole, a whole uh, long list of things, but those are things that I think most folks would associate with. And then, you know, through our commission, which is uh, comprised of gubernatorial appointments, staggered terms, we we have a very keen focus on the the needs of employers, the needs of our economy, and you know, frankly, economic and social growth and prosperity. Good, thank you. I mean, um, I needed some framework there. Yeah, thank you for asking. And so, uh, so Tony, your your role is relatively new with with IEDC, and I think it's reflective of and and I spend some of my time traveling the state talking to to boards of economic development organizations and to local elected officials who still think that what wins the deals is you know get an option on a cornfield and you wait for okay in your case general electric to call uh-huh. um, and so much of what is driving the competitive advantage or disadvantage now is talent and so i think a recognition of that through IEDC is the creation of your position. So talk about, give a little perspective in terms of why your role was created and sort of your basic purview. Super Lee. So you mentioned capital or a piece of land as you know some of the most valuable items that companies are looking for when they're looking to expand or grow. We would all three agree right now that human capital is the most valuable capital, period. It's the first thing, the middle thing, the last thing, and we keep talking about it with the companies. Workforce is needed to build, sustain, and grow Indiana's economy. That has always been a focus of the IADC, and I would say others throughout the state. What I would say with Secretary Chambers leading the IADC, he is laser focused on workforce and that is one of the reasons that he brought me in there's many reasons i won't say many but there's a number of reasons that he brought me in and you know one was you know if you are is to connect and convey right when you look at jobs at the idc we talk about careers high wage for our children high wage careers for our children grandchildren to build their lives one two to build their prosperity and to build their american dream and the american dream is alive in the state of indiana you've heard secretary chambers say that but i think it's really important another reason or something else i want to call out lee is my why and it goes back to what i just said this is for our children grandchildren great-grandchildren I would say we all want them to have a better opportunity than we have had in the state of Indiana, and that's what motivates me. Secretary Chambers also hired me to ensure Indiana's positioned to offer the business community a coordinated support, right, as they look at their talent needs across the state. My role is to partner with state agencies and many other workforce partners in the workforce ecosystem. And we're doing this to ensure that we have the right talent at the right time, the right place with the right skills for those bedrock Hoosier companies, as well as those companies expanding and those looking to plant roots in the state of Indiana and invest their dollars. 
One last thing that I want to touch on is you've both heard Secretary Chambers talk about our 5E strategic vision. The economy of the future is one of uh, those, one of the parts of the strategic vision, which leads to the industries of the future and for Chris and I and many others, selfishly, the workforce of the future. So if you look at 2022, two new industries in the state of Indiana, semiconductors and electric vehicle battery manufacturing. Two areas that we really have to focus on, having that right mix of industry in the state of Indiana, but really what that means is we've got to have the right mix of workforce that we may not even have today. Before I end on this piece, yes, we'll be talking about higher ed, you know, universities and colleges a lot today, but when we look at workforce, there's kind of three, there are three pipelines, high school, university and college, and adult population. All three are very important for our economic development in the state of Indiana. So you talked about those then three pipelines for workforce. And when we were originally discussing doing this podcast, it was uh, pitched as sort of a discussion about the, the workforce ecosystem. And you talked about coordinated support in those three pipelines. But let's go to that phrase, because I think what, what the two of you are doing is trying to think about that workforce ecosystem. How do higher education, how do, do schools, how do all of those pipelines get coordinated? How do they feed into the bigger grand vision? So whoever wants to start with this, this explanation, what is a workforce ecosystem and what does it look like in Indiana? I'll, I'll jump in quickly. It, yep. it, it, Tony and I can do this together. We sing harmony off the same uh, workforce sheet of music, I think. Um, you know, first of all, I would give a lot of credit to Governor Holcomb. He has placed a real, frankly, laser focus on the coordination, and not just the coordination, but the, the intentionality of partnering and working together for, for greater outcomes. And I think we see that Late, Tony and I are going to share a secret with you. There is something called the Human Capital Club. It's not formal, um, but it's very intentional in terms of the partnerships we have here in Indiana. It's at the senior government level. And uh, what I would share with you is there are a handful of us represented, represented by the Governor's Workforce Cabinet, the Indiana Economic Development Corp., the Indiana Destination Development Corp., the higher ed, or excuse me, higher ed, of course, you know, Commission for Higher Education, uh, Department of Education, Katie Jenner and that team, and Department of Workforce Development. We all organically and informally about a year ago said, hey, we kind of feel like we're the human capital club of state government, right? If we're going to have this workforce ecosystem to respond, you know, effectively, quickly, efficiently to uh, the demands of today and tomorrow, we've got to be so closely tied and knitted together that this is just kind of, it's got to be how we roll, right? That exists today. And I share that with you because I think it's really important to note that uh, I know each of us who are part and parcel that are told on a regular basis by our colleagues from other states, do you all kind of finish each other's statements, answer each other's questions? And we go, yeah, yeah, we really do. And we've tried to be really intentional about it. So I think that ecosystem and, and what Tony had said, I think was just represented by that K-12 or really PK-12, mm -hmm. higher ed, training that isn't necessarily uh, higher ed, but it's post-secondary. It's what I think is high school diploma plus. 
you know, the intentionality around what the employers need, you know, how we're, how we're growing and how we're really focusing on the human capital side that Tony referenced. And then I think we've also opened the aperture and taken it to what many of us refer to as sort of a Pentagon approach. We're the government side of it. And I just talked about sort of those six areas, but it's also education, public, private, higher ed, right? The whole gamut. It's also business. If business is not in the room at the table helping to steer where we're going, we, you know, we've missed a major player. But also, I think many of us realize, especially during the pandemic, that the nonprofit side of the world, community and faith-based organizations, reach individuals, frankly, much more effectively than, well, government ever will. And then philanthropy, who we would all agree provide first and foremost thought leadership and then they also happen to be the folks who serve as venture capitalists for big ideas and and also helping course correct where we need you know where we need a lift and so uh, those things i think speak to our workforce ecosystem in indiana frankly i think it's better than well any state i'm aware of but there has been enormous intentionality by a lot of thought leaders uh, I'd credit Governor Holcomb, but then leaders in each one of those sectors with uh, having done so. I'm glad you you mentioned philanthropy because I think there is a degree to which this is also part of the story that we have to keep telling. It's about what the reason suddenly economic developers are talking about childcare and trails and and um, amenities is it's about. People. It it's about getting people. It's about keeping people. It is, again, what is driving a lot of the investment decisions. Tony, I thought you did a great job of touching upon that when you're talking about your role with GE. It really is a lot of what drives um, investment decisions, and it really is about people. And so, uh, you know, and philanthropy, I think, in a lot of these communities um, is really at the heart of, and I think we're starting to see economic developers now connect with, you know, their community foundations and take a much more holistic view of what they're doing and how they're doing it and how the community at large sort of plays into that. It seems to me that, yes, there is that ecosystem and has those six entities, but I'm not sure, maybe before you got here, Tony, that IEDC was as much one of those partners. I mean, I think it had been sort of that traditional sense of, well, let's cut taxes, let's figure out how to you know, provide incentives. So I think this is a really important step that now IEDC is part of those six entities who is at that table. So talk a little more specifically yep. about some of the initiatives that you're involved in that sort of fit into that. So let me, you know, what Chris said, he was, we could finish each other's sentences. But as part of the ecosystem, there's a few, few uh, entities that I want to add to the amazing job Chris did. And if you look at the Central Indiana Corporate Partnership, I could list each and every one of them, whether it's Connexus, Agronovus, I could go TechPoint. I won't name them all, but very important partners at the table when we're talking to companies. I would also want to add the, the local economic development organizations as well as the regional economic development organ organizations. I was just last uh, week up in Valpo ahead of uh, Engage Indiana with Heather Ennis. Uh, in some meetings and discussing and just trying to really for myself bring awareness of what's going on and the great things that are doing up there it's probably a good point or you know the fact that we're sitting at this table in our office today 
I'll dive in a little bit, Chris, on your question. And if we go back to the first week of May 2022, Chris was in this room on the same side of the table that he's on today, and we were meeting with Skywater Technologies. And that was at a point where it had down-selected to Indiana, but we had the workforce partners at the table. Dr. Jenner, I could go on, all the uh, entities that Chris mentioned from a state agency standpoint, CICP member, uh, some external partners. Uh, but that's what's happening. And that's, I kid you not, we got a call Friday after Skywater had been in town, Friday night, saying we want to bring, we want to have a workforce only discussion. Monday morning, I sent a message to, or I sent an email to DWD, CHE, DOE, Sue Elsperman and Chuck Johnson and said, we have this going on. Can you support a meeting at 10 a.m. on Friday? I hit send, I hit a text, and then I sent a text to all of them. Within 20 minutes, everyone was in. That was the first time, as Chris, I think, told me that that group of individuals came together at the table. That's how we operate. And if you advance to today, it's even more integrated and purposeful and strategic. So we are all in, and that's on the business development side, Lee. That's not even digging into everything else that happens from the time they say yes and our workforce partners working with those companies, especially those new to the state or new industries like electric vehicle battery manufacturing and semiconductors where a lot of those jobs, 80% of those jobs in both of those industries, 80% are highly skilled technicians and skilled to a level a little bit above what we have in the state. But I am so proud of what our higher ed institutions and other workforce partners are doing to be prepared. They've got workforce training. They've got training on the shelf. They're going to the company's sites to see what they're doing. They're working with other institutions across the country and around the world to truly understand what we have to have in the state of Indiana to be successful. So we have those conversations, though, I think at some level about how we train and how we we raise up that proficiency chris we have some of the most some of the most stellar institutions of higher education that are training some of the world class workforce who dissipate and go someplace else we have them here for a period of time and then they trickle off somewhere what are we doing to try to keep that talent in the state of indiana and this has been something you know i was one of the I was one of the first three staff people at CICP, and it was an issue that we worked on, gosh, you know, 20 years ago, trying to figure out, and, you know, what are we doing to solve that problem? Because it's huge. Yeah, Lee, I love this question. Uh, Tony started smiling when you asked it. You know, we, we have to recognize what the challenge is, lay out the facts, and then figure out what we're going to go do about it. And that's something since really mid to late last summer we've been working on and so I'll, I'll frame it this way for you i was starting to present a lot uh, this past summer around uh, what i think of as the challenges and opportunities for higher ed and for our state you know declining going rates if you will matriculation of high school kids to college and universities same for adults Completion's improving, but not enough. And then the third category that we ended up identifying literally came out of a set of questions I was asked during a, a meeting with a business organization and specifically employers. I was asked, this is close, uh, paraphrasing, so how good are we 
at keeping our talent here in Indiana? And I said, I don't know. That's a great question. I literally have no idea. So I went back to our team. I posed the question and said, so how good are we? Fortunately, they did more than simply answer my question. They came back and said, Chris, this is startling. Just, it's fascinating. Here, here's, the, here's the gaping hole through which we could drive a truck, but let's repair it and build a bridge instead. And that was, uh, we came to realize, Lee, that we are 14th best in the nation at attracting students to our public and private higher ed institutions. That is pretty cool. Now, now, mind you, I did say to the team, and I said it publicly recently, that we need to be top 10. Thrilled, I'm, I'm pleased, but not satisfied. So let's be top 10. But 14th, um, you know, I'm also an unabashed uh, uh, markets person. I believe in the markets. I'm a capitalist. And the markets have signaled to me, we have something good here. So real quickly on that, what we know, Lee, is that we have institutions that offer very high quality. We also know that we have institutions that have, that have held the line on cost. You know, not enough Hoosiers know that in the past decade, our institutions have held the line on tuition and fees, and it's actually below zero when adjusted for inflation. We're one of the top states in the nation for that. So I, I mention those things to you because that's part of the solution. We've got to tell more Hoosiers, including employers, what great institutions we have. Uh, in addition to that, we've had to raise the awareness on the other side of this equation, 14th best at attracting, or 40th, so 1-4 versus 4-0, 40th in graduate retention. Yeah, I think that's one of those things we could wring our hands about, but instead I'm looking at it and going, oh my goodness, we can make a meal out of this. We just have to, we just have to figure out how to be more intentional about keeping students who came here with a purpose. Tony said uh, twice today, I I'm going to explain my why. Well, part of the why for many students is related to where they have come. They, they have chosen to come to one of our 36 public or private institutions. So there's something they love about it here. And they've chosen to complete. Now, we have to believe, I believe, I think, much more intentionally in connecting employers, students, and the institutions. This is one of those topics when I started raising it with university presidents and others. I said, so where do you think we are on retaining our graduates? And sort of like me, when I was first posed the question, most of them said, well, I don't know. Where are we? And so now we've started talking about that. But we've taken it at least one additional step, and it's, it's really more than this, but something that's very concrete is um, during this legislative session, which just adjourned a few days ago, we took a bold approach in taking the outcomes-based performance funding formula. So our higher ed institutions in Indiana, the increases, the public institutions, the increases they receive in operating funding uh, to a great degree are tied to performance. Of course, I love that. Having come from the private sector, you know, you pay for performance. But that has almost consisted, always consisted of completions, a very important metric. We stretched that out, opened the aperture this year to focus on college going rates, particularly of low-income students, uh, underrepresented populations, because those are where we have seen the, the largest declines, but then also on graduate retention. So going forward, beginning July 1, 15% of our state institutions' performance funding will be based on graduate retention. So we, we, have, uh, we have given the institutions, and by the way, with their, with their support, this was to me, very interesting, you know, the conversations when I, you know, initially was talking with different institutions about this, you know, I, I think it was, it ranged from, oh, that's interesting, to, hmm, I think we do a pretty good job already, to, hey, we're focused on improving that. So I share that with you uh, 
to indicate that the institutions came came around this and were actively supporting it with the General Assembly and others to say, yeah, make part of our performance funding contingent upon being more intentional about keeping graduates. Um, you know, I, I'll say this real quickly too, Lee. I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are business folks, and. You know, I, I've tried to be bring a little humor, but also be candid in speaking with business leaders and you know college and education leaders about the hiring of our students who are going through one of our institutions. You know, I'll I'll say to a university president, uh, "Hey, you know, do you have firm X Y Z in here?" Well, I'm not sure. And then I'll say, mm, "You know, so and so is the CEO. Do you have her phone number? Could you call her right now?" And by the way, I then do that jokingly, but not so much, right, with my friends, a lot of friends in the private sector who, you know, will be talking about talent. And I'll say, gosh, you know, it seems like fill-in-the-blank university or college would be a great source for you. Well, yeah, that might be the case. And then I'll say, so, do you have President fill-in-the-blank's phone number? When's, when was the last time you and he or she went to dinner? And Right, you know, a bit of that. Lee is to catch people's attention, but also then to think about, oh, how intentional are we? You know, are the firms that we see in the career services offices uh, only those from out of state? Because, you know, there's something maybe kind of cool thinking about, uh, you know, a firm that's in Chicago or San Francisco or Miami or New York or something. But do we see those small, medium, and large firms from Indiana actively engaged, you know, in the game, in the room and at the table? Last comment, your comment a moment ago, Tony, made me think of uh, sort of a fun little piece of history I was reading over the weekend, some thoughts by Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, and it had to do with the sausage making mm -hmm. of policy. Sausage making of policy and being in the room and at the table. And I think that's applicable here. You know, you've got to be in the room and at the table with business. And business has to, from an education standpoint, and, and business has to be in the room and at the table with higher ed. You know, you've just got to be inextricably connected and I, I think this is going to start leading toward higher grad retentions, the work we're doing with IEDC, IDDC, and you know, others throughout the state to, to tell these students, look, you came here for a reason. And uh, we, we have a lot to offer you that maybe you hadn't heard about yet. So I know some conversations with Elaine Beadle at the Destination Development Corporation, and, and she was looking at that question as well. And so one of the things, though, that they discovered when they were doing their research is the problem is, yes, people come from all over the world to our institutions of higher education, and they never get off of campus. That's sort of a self-contained world, and so they never really interact with Indiana or the community around them. And we've also learned over time that, you know, we just don't do a very good job of talking about the companies, the industries that are in Indiana and really promoting the quality of life, the cost of living, and the fact that there are a lot of those companies that they are looking for that are here, but they're not very visible. So I think that becomes part of the challenge. And I wonder how much either of you have been able to see, because I think there is an ongoing culture in Indiana that is still somewhat education-averse. And I recall a number of years ago talking to someone who was part of, of, of a statewide political campaign, and they had done focus groups. 
and uh, and among parents and parents were saying you know I'm not sure that I want my kids to go to college well why not well because there aren't any jobs for college educated people in Indiana and if they get a college degree they'll move out of state and I'll never see my grandkids so you know I think there is a culture that we that is still somewhat not connecting education to prosperity and to the jobs or that we're still thinking of the jobs in Indiana. For example, when we talk about manufacturing, many people have a 30-year-old view of manufacturing, and so they still think of that as being sort of a dead-end job. How do we how are we addressing some of those challenges? Because I think it gets to the core of talking about, you know, our 21st century workforce and what's what's required and the opportunities there. Sure. Do you want to start? I'll jump in this time. I'll uh, finish sentences. How's that? That's perfect, Chris. <laughs> so, Lee, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said there. Um, I want to add one thing to what Chris said earlier in the fact that industry needs to be Companies need to be at the table from a higher ed standpoint. I would also add that they've got to be in that pre-K-12 space. They've got to be at the table with the superintendents and principals. So there's, Absolutely. there's a piece there. You know, the awareness factor. I mean, when we came in today, that was one of the things the three of us were talking about. And it's, you know, awareness or really lack of awareness. When I look at small, medium, early stage, and young companies, we just, uh, what, two weeks ago, April 12th, had the Indiana Talent Forum up in South Bend. And the intent of that event was to bring small, medium, early stage, and young companies together with higher ed. So there's eight universities up in that region, but we also had other institutions like IU, Purdue, Rose-Hulman, Ball State that came up to the South Bend area. And really, you know, one piece was just trying to help those companies that didn't know even know where the front door was. And there's many stories around that, but they may not have the experience or the people or the funding to do it. So how can we help them, right? And a small company may only have a few hires per year, and a big career fair is probably not where they need to be. But, you know, we brought in other partners like Parker Dewey, which is a company that does micro-internships, so think short bursts. 24, 40-hour assignments over a couple-week period where you're paid doing real work. When I look at our external engagement team and the brand awareness, so mid-December there was a uh, ad campaign that ran for Winners for All, right? And that was intended to bring awareness of, you know, the state of Indiana and, and how business-friendly we are and many more items. We've been too humble for decades. And I don't know that there's a person, one at this table or across the state that would disagree. And I would say it's game on. And we're gonna go all in on bringing awareness, still a little bit of our humbleness there, but going all in on bringing awareness to those within the state of Indiana and outside of the state of Indiana. And Lee, your point on parents and you know opportunities with, with the college degree in the state. I look at whether it's Skywater Technologies or the Stellantis Samsung SDI opportunity or Eli Lilly, you know, they just announced another $1.6 billion additional investment and more jobs uh, in the Boone County area. We just have to attack that awareness piece of what we have in the state, but also I would say equally important 
is that awareness outside of the state because we've got to raise the population in the state of Indiana to address the workforce needs of today, tomorrow, and the future in the state. And, and Lee, if I could echo the Allison Harmony on this one. How's that, Tony? Uh, you know, I, I think Tony talked about uh, being humble. Um, yeah, I've just referred to it now of late as Hoosier humility. Um, I don't know how else to put it. We've got to get over that. Uh, our state has so many great things going on, and I'll just use some higher ed examples really quickly. Until we started talking several months ago about our institutions holding the line on tuition and fees, I don't know, there were like seven people in the whole state who even knew it, right? But people know it now. Um, it's a top 10 state in that regard. That's starting to sound like the top 10 that we are in a regulatory environment, tax structure, corporate tax, uh, infrastructure, all these other things that make us business friendly. But un until we document those things and tell folks, it's right, it's kind of hard to tell the story. You know, something else that started to really resonate, and I think it really did at the State House with policymakers, was you know, Lee kind of attacking some of these unicorns. You were asking about, I think, the value proposition of higher ed, and you, I think you referred to it as a maybe even cultural. You know, is there this belief that it's not worth it? And you know, we could argue whether it's cultural, is it communication, and so forth. Uh, but there, there are unicorns, as I like to refer to them. You know, there's there there's this notion among some that higher education results in a quarter million dollars worth of loans a master's degree, a weird master's degree from University of Southern California, let's just pick on California today, and the inability to find a part-time job. Well, that's just not the fact in Indiana. So we put together what we refer to as a four-by-four four for economic issues and a four-by-four four for social issues based upon educational attainment. So if your listeners are visioning four rows, uh, beginning with no high school diploma, a high school diploma, uh, an associate's degree or some college, and a bachelor's degree and higher. Let me be very clear. We then had four rows. In that instance, it was unemployment. Guess what? The unemployment rate goes further down with the higher levels of education that one has. Secondly, labor participation rates go up. In Indiana, our labor participation rate is in the low 60s, Tony, 63, mm -hmm. 4%. Yep. Well, here's the difference between somebody with less than a high school diploma at roughly 43% and somebody with a bachelor's degree and higher, 73%. And it scales across those. So unemployment, labor participation, wages, there's an 85% wage premium between a high school diploma and a bachelor's degree and higher, 85%. And then with net worth, it's even, you know, it, it's by multiples. But then on social, and again, it scales. It scales based upon educational attainment, whether we look at uh, utilization of public assistance, death by opioids per capita, infant mortality, or life expectancy. Life expectancy, 12 years. 12 years between somebody who has, on average, less than a high school diploma and somebody with a bachelor's degree and higher in Indiana alone. I share that with you because I think, they, I think those also help to, to edify and lift up this ability our ability to to build the value for folks and, and see that, that it is worth it to get that training, get that education uh, to go on, that the economic and social outcomes are just better. And then further, and wow, the, you know, it was just, it was heartening, humbling uh, to see what happened with the legislature and policymakers this year. Uh, I, I look at virtually every higher education bill that passed 
this session, some that had never even been tried, and you know, pretty bold, some would say aggressive initiatives. I, I can't think of one that didn't pass either unanimously or almost unanimously and with broad bipartisan support. Because I think folks are grabbing a hold of what, you know, I believe these are data that are leading us to insight and then to strategy and then action. And so I think that gets back to the root question you were talking about, Lee, and I think by utilizing and then deploying uh, great data with insight and showing what the strategy can be and then deploying the action and showing that when we do X, we do get these kind of results, that's, that's, how, we move, that's how we really move the dial. Okay, so we'll, we're, we're kind of rounding the corner here. I wonder, you know, you talked about and this is just, uh, I don't, I'm not going to try to distract us here, but you talked about, yes, we have a reputation of being business friendly. And, and I think people can go down the list and talk about all the things we've done. Maybe we're having the wrong conversation. We should be starting to talk about, no, Indiana is really a people-friendly state and a family-friendly state. And because right now our problem is not necessarily uh, attracting business as much as it is people for the business we already have, and maybe we just need to change our talking points, but that's probably for another podcast. So uh, uh, to, to kind of finish up our conversation today, so we will have people around the state listening to this podcast, economic developers, community stakeholders, and their question is going to be, so what can I do? How do I support this effort? What can we be doing in our local communities to propel forward this workforce ecosystem, the portion that we have in our community to solve this problem? So how do they, how do they get involved? How do they do something more than just wait? So, Lee, I think there's a number of opportunities. Uh, and when you look at your audience, one is help tell the story. You know, you were you mentioned, and it's probably another discussion, but I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't touch on, you know, the Ready Program 1.0 and, you know, the Ready 2.0 that just went through the legislation and the opportunity there. I mean, the, you know, another uh, part of our strategic vision is the environment or the built environment and what Ready is bringing to the table. Uh, when you look at, you know, that's going to attract people to come to the state of Indiana, to stay in the state of Indiana, one, helping promote that, right? That we, it's, we've got a great state, we're affordable, quality of place, we have beaches, and really people talk to you when you're walking down the street. So there, there's something to be said about that. I would also ask the, your audience to help us tell the story, right? You know, we will be telling the story in a loud, yet a little humble way, but telling the story of great jobs and most importantly careers in the state of Indiana. Like you said, if you step back to the days of manufacturing and you know dirty, you know dark, totally different today. You know, I was up at uh, Urschel Laboratories up on the north side of Valparaiso last week. Wow, manufacturing facility that really put the people first. I, I could go on and on, but I won't. Uh, I go to a lot of the manufacturers in the state of Indiana, and they're putting their people first. Their environments, their work environments, are second to none. The environments, like if you look up in Boone County at the Leap uh, Innovation District and what's being built there, it's more than manufacturing. It's research and development. It's creeks, it's trails, it's the amenities that people are looking for. So we have to tell that story, and we will 
from a state of Indiana standpoint, be telling those stories about the careers that you can have in the state of Indiana. And what I would ask, and I would really say what we would ask is help promote that. Uh, you will see it across many channels, but help tell, help tell the state of Indiana story to all of your friends. So that's a, you know, that's a piece of what I would say. I would also say if there's something that doesn't make sense or you've got a better idea, email me, call me, reach out to us. The worst thing you can do is not reach out to us or ask the question. You know, there's, there's not going to be a single question that's out of bounds. But again, the worst question is the one you don't ask. So, Chris, I know in your old stomping grounds, I mean, on a previous podcast, we had the superintendent from Batesville talking about the internships that they are doing with some of the companies down there to expose students fairly early on to those local industry and to help parents uh, also see that, you know, what that industry looks like and what some of those employers are like. What else, you know, is on your mind in terms of how do we, how are we addressing this problem? Yeah, Leah, thanks for pointing that out. Uh, All of that started around 2010, 2012, and yeah, I had the privilege of being involved in that, and it, it, it thrives. I mean, there are probably a couple hundred juniors and seniors each year at the Batesville High School. It's a high school of only about 700 kids. Um, probably two, 250 of them that are doing some form of work and learn, mentorship, internships, co-ops, et cetera. I mean, it, it's just become ubiquitous to education in that community. But it, it came as a result of people learning how to speak another language. Maybe I'll say it that way. Business started learning to speak uh, education, and education started learning to speak business. My, how interesting. And by the way, it's not that far off as we know. You know, I think directly to your question, what can your listeners do? Uh, I, I would say it's on a, at least a few different fronts. One, as Tony was saying, tell the story. We've got something really good here to tell. You made a comment also about, hey, maybe for another podcast another day. I was reading articles over the weekend, including one in the journal, that talked about Indiana is an in-migration state. Some of our surrounding states, particularly the one just to the west of us, are not. In addition to that, not just people moving, but capital is moving. And wealth is moving from those states, including to Indiana. Uh, Second column, I think it was an op-ed piece of the journal that referenced Indiana specifically. And around you know, wages and so forth, moving this direction, because people are moving from other states and seeing opportunity here. But very specifically, employers, economic development folks, and so forth can really help us with, I think, three distinct things relative to post-secondary education. Help us with the college-going rate of youth and adults. That might mean in your business hosting a night with any higher ed institutions you can get for the children and parents of individuals you employ. Right? So, you know, inviting your workers to bring their children or someone in their family to learn about these higher ed opportunities, the the scholarships that are available, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, we are number one in the Midwest, fifth in the nation on need-based financial aid. <laughs> Had to get that plug in there, Lee. But help us carry that message that education is possible, it's accessible. In Indiana, it is affordable, and we have generous need-based financial aid. Secondly, if there are ways to engage and help students complete, by the way, one of the best ways to help a college student complete is to help him or her get an internship, a co-op, some form of work and learn. The rates of completion increase, and by the way, the pipeline to ultimately hiring that talent increases vastly. Something like 60 or 65% of internships turn into a job offer. Wow. Talk about diminishing or reducing the cost of recruitment and so forth. It's like a secret weapon. 
and then, as you might guess, you know, engage with um, uh, employers, you know, or, or employers engage with uh, institutions with your high school. Find out from that superintendent like Paul Ketchum, with whom you probably spoke not long ago, how can you engage at the elementary and primary school? And so may, some people may think, well, what do you mean? Well, going in as, as a guest in that second grade classroom and talking with kids about what it's like to be a manufacturer, what it's like to be uh, someone in healthcare, what it's like to be in IT, just so they get this basic knowledge. Start early, get engaged, and then ultimately reach out to reach out to schools and let them know that you're interested whether it's the high school whether it's universities colleges in indiana in the human capital they're helping to produce because tony referenced it earlier that is the key to all of this is human capital one thing to add lee let's just make this actionable for the listeners out there if you're in economic development go to a company that's not engaged and get them engaged with a high school and a college right a pipeline you know find out what they need on that front and just get it done if they're not doing it do it if you're a company listening and you're not engaged in that space just pick one school corp right and you may have you know go to your economic development team in your area and they will help you get there they will get you to the right person so it's as efficient as possible and you're productive the same with with college and universities and if you need help you've got both chris and i as two resources okay so i could do i could do parts two and three to all of this because there's just so much here and this is so so um intense but we're we're at the end of where we need to be today so i want to thank you both for your time and for your expertise and your commitment. So for today's podcast, I've been talking to two individuals who are on the front line of developing and implementing strategies to address Indiana's talent challenges. Chris Lowry is the commissioner of Indiana's Commission for Higher Education, and Tony Denhart is the executive vice president for workforce and talent with IEDC. Chris and Tony, thank you very much for for talking today. Lee, thank you. Thank you, Lee. You've been listening to IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. All content on this podcast is copyright 2023 by the Indiana Economic Development Association, which retains all rights to this content. And by the way, the theme music was composed and performed by me, Lee Llewellyn. Thanks.